Welcome to SIDCast, a podcasting resource dedicated to telling stories and sharing the experiences of the sports information and athletic communications profession. A podcast that you can find on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to leave us a rating review and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at SportsInfoCast on both of those platforms. I pride myself on being very adaptable, and I know that we talk about that a lot on the podcast, and we will talk about that today. Uh, we have a schedule change, and as some of you may know, uh, we do have Brent Harris on the pod today, so you guys will hear from Cindy Potter at a later date due to, well, a uh, corrupted file um, that I am unable to do anything with, but we will have her on. I do promise that we will get her back on when she is back from convention. Uh, but for now, we actually have a Super Bowl prep episode, and this is a conversation that I had, uh, I think, Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon with Brent. Uh, he said he was very familiar with the show, and as I started to get deeper and deeper into his background and stuff, um, Ira Thor actually recommended me to him because he was – Ira is the uh, Jets statistician, while as uh, Brent is the Colts statistician from my home state. So we go through all of that, what it was like – coming from a theater background and we will even go through um his background in sport as a child you know they had uh training camps and and things like that that he and his childhood buddies put on um at a whole different level than what normal kids do where they just play video games and don't go outside anymore it seems like but uh we go through all that and more we'll talk about uh what the transition was like from being a theater major to communications to a newspaper to a radio station and eventually to where he is now at Wabash uh, and then with the Colts and perhaps even working a Super Bowl. So if you guys want to know just what goes into all that processes, uh, what goes into the statistician side of the NFL, what goes into the selection process, the training, and uh, how you can become an NFL statistician, this is the episode for you. So guys, without any further ado, we will start off today with episode number 105 of SIDcast with Brent Harris of the Wabash College Little Giants and the Indianapolis Colts and his very first taste of sports information right here on SIDcast. I majored in what is the least sports information field possible. I was a theater major and uh, more, uh, more specifically, technical theater. Uh-huh. Uh, I, in high school, had an opportunity to get involved with some plays and musicals and had a chance to work with a gentleman who was going to school at Illinois State, and I really enjoyed it. So I went to Illinois State, uh, studied technical theater. Uh, my primary field was lighting design, uh, but I also did a lot of audio work. And I was very fortunate. I had a great student advisor who told me, you know, 90% of people who think they're going to be involved in theater either end up being high school teachers who do the school play, do the school uh-huh. musical, do all that, and maybe 10% actually get out to professional theater. You've got to have something to back up your your theater right. uh, passion. And so I said, well, what about communications? That'd be great. You're an outgoing guy. 
think that would work out well. So I, I minored in communications, and so I got involved with local radio and so forth. And I did a few things with sports, uh, you know, doing the radio. We'd go out and do some high school basketball games in the uh, Bloomington Normal area and just kind of help out where we could. So I kind of got a background of that. I got out of college and got an opportunity to work in a college theater department and realized I could not want to not do this more. This is a horrible uh-huh. mistake. Great. So there's college down the drain. Right. Uh, I'm a theater major that doesn't want to be in professional theater. What do I do now? And I was very fortunate. I came back home trying to figure out, okay, what the heck do I do? I moved in with a former high school buddy who was finishing up his college at Wabash. Hmm. And he was also working at the local radio station uh, part-time. So he said, hey, we're looking for some part-time people. I went out, applied for the job. I worked part-time at the station for exactly two weeks. And one of the evening guys got a job at another station. And the general manager called me in and said, would you like a full-time position at the radio station? So that kind of started my professional path. I was the engineer for a lot of sports broadcasts that the station did. And then one weekend, they needed a color commentator. They said, you know a lot about sports. Why don't you come on the air with us? And suddenly I started doing sports broadcasting and got involved with those broadcasts on the opposite end, on the announcer end. And then probably the the first big break of my career, uh, we had a gentleman who was the sports director of the station at the time, a guy by the name of Mike Haynes, who went on to be the play-by-play announcer for the Colorado Avalanche mm. and then the uh, Phoenix Coyotes. Yeah. Uh, but I remember Mike walking in one night and he said, hey, uh, I've got some news. I'm leaving. Uh, I'm going to go out to Colorado and, and do some radio out there. I think you'd make a perfect sports director for the radio station. Why don't you take the job? So then I became the sports director of the station. And one of the things I added to our coverage was a lot more coverage of Wabash College. That gave me a chance to meet all the coaches, meet the then sports information director, Jim Amidon. We became pretty good friends, and I got involved with a lot of things at Wabash College. Well, fast forward uh, to 1999, Wabash was doing some major construction. They were just starting to do the renovations that have become the Allen Athletics and Recreation Center. And... I came over to see uh, some of the construction. Plus, I was I was visiting the local paper. I I was doing some independent contractor stuff with them, and I, they couldn't meet with me that afternoon. So I said, well, "I'll go over to Wabash and take a look at how the new construction's going on, everything, uh-huh. and catch up with my friend Jim Amadon and he and his wife had just had their daughter Sam, and this was pre Facebook, so you didn't have thousands of pictures. Right? Of yeah, it's out." <laughs> out on social media. So it was my chance to see pictures of their new daughter. I walked in at the very moment my predecessor had called in to give his two-week notice. He was on his honeymoon, and he had taken a job at Northern Illinois. Hmm. I walked in, and, and Jim looked at me and said, you know, you'd be perfect to take over the job as sports information director here. We went to lunch. We talked about it. I interviewed a week later. A week after that, I walked in with the freshman class and said, hi, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> Let's figure it out together. Yeah. And you know, that was 19 years ago. And 
here I am Never today. looked back, yeah. Yeah, so let's go back to some of your background here a little bit, and a couple of things based off what you said. Uh, what was your sports background like growing up? I know that you kind of got into theater a little bit, but how did that and sport mix for you? Uh, I ran cross-country in, in high school. I was an average cross-country runner, and it was funny. The cross-country coach at Wabash College actually recruited me to come to Wabash, <laughs> and I was the, I'm getting out, I'm, I'm a townie. You're I leaving, grew up yeah. in Crawfordsville. Uh, and I said, now I'm getting out of Crawfordsville, never to return. Now I own a house, and, <laughs> and these are my roots. Uh, but I, I, play, I played a lot of basketball. You know, I'm an, I'm an Indiana kid. We all play basketball. It's in our genes. Uh, we just we played a lot of sports in our neighborhood, and, and we were that neighborhood group of kids that took it way more serious than you really should. I mean, yeah. we'd, do, we'd start baseball in the spring. And we'd actually have a training camp because the major league guys had a training camp. So instead of just going out and playing a baseball game with the neighborhood kids, we had, okay, who wants to play shortstop this year? Well, you have to go through a training, a training camp to show that you can play shortstop. So we were, we were the kids that did that. We always had summer Olympics in the neighborhood. We would make, well, you know, twice around the block is our marathon. Uh, from here to the stop sign, our sprint, or the 100-yard dash. Uh you know, we would make up all of those events. So we were just always ingrained in sports in in our neighborhood. And, you know, and I was very involved. I was a manager on the basketball team for several years in high school. Uh, so I always had an interest in sports. But I hadn't really thought about what was available in terms of a career in sports until, you know, I got into the radio station when I came back uh, from Illinois State. And I started to learn that there are these other opportunities. Uh, my work at the radio station uh, got me introduced to people at the Indianapolis Colts, and that mm. then turned into another, a whole different career. Uh, you know, there's an old story that says, you know, old, old phrase that if you you've never worked in radio unless you've been fired from a radio station, yeah, well, I worked in radio. Yeah. So the day after. Uh, I got let go from the radio station. I got a call from a friend of mine in Indianapolis who said, great, come do TV with us this year, uh, this summer. And I said, well, I don't know anything about TV. Great, we'll teach you. That ended up freelancing for ESPN for several years, doing auto racing for them, which then led to doing things with CBS. And I help a lot of uh, some of the local broadcasts. Uh, Fox Sports will give me a call, and we'll get both Wabash students and – some local people who have the time and the interest. We get them involved with the Fox Sports broadcast. I actually have a gentleman here from the community who's going to go work the Butler game hmm. for Fox as a, as a TV talent stats uh, operator. He'll do his first game uh, here in late January. So, you know, it's kind of been an opportunity, too, for me to kind of pay back the people who have helped me through the years hmm. get these opportunities to you know, start to get other people involved in it. So it, it, it's been nice for my career, but it's also been nice to see other people kind of start their careers or look at some of those opportunities that are out there in sports. You said that you guys kind of sort of, sort of made some training camp stuff. Whose idea was that? Who orchestrated that? Who organized we, that? We were, we were just a bunch of silly kids. I mean, it was, it was one of those situations. We actually, you know, some of the older brothers and the older kids um, – would come down and 
you know, they were they were just starting to get into organize, more organized baseball or right. football in the junior high and high school levels. And, you know, we were just a bunch of five or, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade kids running around just doing whatever. And we wanted to have that same type of organization that the, that they had. That the older kids had. Right. So we just kind of created it on our own. So, right. yeah, we were kind of like general managers at the age of 10. Yeah. It was, you know, we'd, we'd orchestrate trades. We'd, you know, okay, well, we always have a team of Donnie and Rick and Kathy and so-and-so. Well, let's change the teams up a little bit. Let's see, you know, who really is the best group. And so we do all sorts of, you know, mm-hmm. just fun little things like that because we we thought it, at, you know, it added something to instead of just going out and playing baseball, it gave it kind of an extra edge or a little extra excitement to be able to kind of mix things up a little bit and make it make it more like a, a professional or a, or a collegiate style setting. Like we. We kind of felt like it gave it that little extra boost. Yeah, absolutely. And some people, I know that there are certain people, I think myself and even you, um, you can point at different things during our childhood and say like this and what you're doing now, you're like, oh my God, that's exactly like what I was doing, you know, back when I was a kid. Like for me, uh, I simulated football all the time, whether it be paper or with my stuffed animals or something like that. And now I'm here and I'm like the stats and and the design and everything like that. It completely led into what I do now, but that's that's completely cool that uh, you guys were able to get that all together, especially at a young age. Oh, we we used to play a uh, an old baseball simulation game called Appa Baseball, mm. but we were the guys who, well, you know, we're not just going to simulate a game. We're going to draft teams. Uh-huh. And you'll you'll, re, you'll you'll create your own team, and then we'll develop a schedule. But then we kept stats, and then it mm-hmm. was you played the games in order against other people in the league, and then we had playoffs, and yeah, we just basically created a whole league, and, uh-huh. and that's where I kind of well, the stats and the numbers are really important, and you're exactly right. Little did I know I was <laughs> setting myself on a uh, career path that I you know, be doing today. You kind of dusted yourself for it, but like you said, you kind of graduated from Illinois State, and then all of a sudden you weren't using your, uh, you weren't using your theater degree, and, and you said, and even you kind of phrased it, says, well, college out, the, college is out the window now, and, and all four of the years, so what was that kind of like as an adjustment for you? I mean, did you think about doing anything else? I mean, what was life like at that time when you realized, okay, I'm not going to be going into theater? Well, it, it, it's funny to look back out on it now because there are things that I that I did in my you know collegiate training for theater that I still use today. Hmm. I, I you know had a lot of class in audio technology, you know, the audio stagecraft and so forth. And those are things that I use today with, you know, setting up our broadcasts. We do a, a what I think is a very professional level of uh, video streaming for our home football, home basketball, home baseball games. And I work a lot with the audio end because we've got a very good video uh, director here on campus who works with the video and he does the production in the truck and so forth. But he kind of leaves the audio to me. So I think for me it was more of a, you know, there are some technical aspects that I won't be doing. I'm not going to be doing a lot of lighting design, you know, other than in a theater or if you're working with an architecture firm. Not a lot of call to, well, let's move this light here because the shadow works a little better and yeah. it gives us the look we want here. But, you know, 
the things that I learned in theater, you know, it's, it's almost like any job. There are always things that you can take away from a job that can apply to other jobs. And, you know, I learned to work with people. I mean, you're working with a director and there's not a lot of difference between working with a director or working with a producer in theater and working with a coach or working with an athletics director. They have a vision for what the finished product is going to be. And they're counting on you to be able to deliver that finished product. And that's the same thing that we do in sports information. You know, we're trying to market our teams, market our student athletes, uh, the AD and the coach have a vision of where their program will go, and we're part of the support staff that will help make sure it gets to to that destination. Right, right, absolutely. Still orchestrating stuff, but um, you, you mentioned marketing a little bit, and I know I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but as I was saying, I, I end up in Crawfordsville from time to time. Uh, how do you market your team? How do you go about um, what is your strategy, maybe your plan for getting a small town like Crawfordsville into something like athletics at an all-male institution? Oh, there, it, like I think any marketing plan, you've got to have varied levels. A perfect example, we have a basketball program right now that's going through a really good uh, phase, and it's... it's uh, and figure out what I want to say here. Uh, we've got a basketball program that, that's really having an excellent season. Uh, 14 and one right now. Uh-huh. We've got our big rivalry game coming up Wednesday. And so it's allowed us an opportunity to reach out to some different venues. Perfect example. We had a home game last Wednesday and we were still all on break. So we mm. knew we weren't going to have a lot of students and it was an important game. And, we didn't want to have an empty gymnasium. So the coach and I, along with the AD, our communications director, we just really made sure we hit the local newspaper, that we had articles on the web, we did social media to make sure local people got excited about the game. And we ended up with a thousand people mm. at the game. I mean, you know, we were worried about having an empty gym and we were far from it by, by the time we tipped off. So, yeah, those are some little local successes you have. But we also have a lot of uh, young men on the roster who are from the Indianapolis area. Mm. So, you know, we're also looking to reach out to the Indianapolis television stations, to the Indianapolis Star, and and we're very fortunate. Uh, we have, you know, one of the biggest football games in all of Division Three, the Monon Bell game, our rivalry game against DePaul. And that always gets statewide coverage and realistically it gets national coverage mm-hmm. it's broadcast live on fox sports access tv had the broadcast for many years before fox has done the last two years uh so we have some attention based on that and that's allowed me to have contact with you know some some national level writers such as greg doyle at the indianapolis star uh greg and i met when he first got to the star he was assigned to cover the monon bell game so he shows up in my press box, and we got to talking. Well, with the other work I do with uh, Indianapolis sports teams, you know, working with the Final Four, the NCAA tournament, and working with the Indianapolis Colts, I see Greg almost every weekend. Mm-hmm. So we get a chance. A, a few years ago, we had an outstanding wrestler, a four a four time national champion, only uh, one of eleven in all levels of the NCAA to win four national championships. And I told him at the start of the season, 
Greg, you're going to want to write a story about this guy because mm-hmm. he's also an English major who writes poetry. So he's a wrestler poet. Well, that interested Greg and meet, you know, piqued his interest immediately. And we ended up getting a wonderful story that had very little to do with wrestling, but it promoted the educational opportunities that Riley, you know, the, the experiences he was having at Wabash while talking about his outstanding performance on the wrestling mat. So it, it really became a story that marketed the college. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's my job. So it's, it's mm-hmm. really just kind of sitting down and figuring out, okay, what story do you have to tell and what's the best way to get it to fit in as many different areas as you can? You know, with the basketball team right now, we're pitching the fact that there are a lot of Indianapolis kids who were very well known in the Indianapolis high school area, and now they're having this great success. Yeah, like an all-star team. Yeah. To play for this basketball team. So we've got the star kind of interested in that. Uh, but you know, we're getting weekly stories out of our local paper. So you know, it's, it's just trying to find the best fit for all of those different uh, marketing pieces. You mentioned one of the biggest, I, I believe, uh, national games ever, um, and I firmly believe that in the in the sense that yeah people cover it but um I, I do know this girl who went to DePaul who said that she absolutely hates mowing on bell weekend because she <laughs> cannot park to save her life so describe the uh the atmosphere and what it's like to have um the surrounding area of the stadium absolutely packed for this division three football game uh you know it's it's just a weekend where I invite 10,000 of my closest <laughs> friends and, uh, and, and you know folks who love football it it really is like nothing you can explain. Uh, if you haven't been to a Monon Bell game, you wouldn't believe me if I told you about it. You know, I, I have people who I, I I'll go on the road for our conference games. I do all of our football radio broadcasts on the road, and I have had opposing coaches and opposing radio announcers tell me, you know, we're off the last week of the season when you guys play DePaul. Can you get me tickets if I were to come over to that game? And uh, I can remember a few years ago, uh, we have a coach who's on our staff now, but he was the head coach at a school we were playing at the time. Uh And he was one of those coaches who, hey, I want to come to that game, and we're off the final week. So he came to the game. I got him up in the press box at halftime so he could kind of see it from that level. He said, I have never seen anything like this. And several years ago, we had uh, a head football coach who had played and coached at Mount Union. Hmm. And so, you know, this is a program that goes to the national championship every year. I mean, their national success at the Division Three level is, is well known. And so when he came here as our head coach, we were talking one day in my office. And I said, so, you know, what are you expecting from this Monon Bell game? Well, you know, I don't know. I've heard a lot about it. Uh-huh. So he coached in the game. We finished, and we're walking back to the locker room where we just finished all of our on-field interviews. I said, well, what would you think? He goes, there were more people here than I think were at five of Mount Union's national championship games. He goes, there were people everywhere. He goes, uh-huh. I, I saw the stands, and I didn't think there was any way they could fill them. And, you know, there, there was no place for anybody to sit, and it's just the noise, and everybody's into the game. I mean, it's not people are showing up to the game, and 
they they're there because they just want to be there and it's mm-hmm. something to do. So they are into the game and they are cheering or they are booing and <laughs> it is just an atmosphere like I have never seen. And and for Division three players who you know are playing for the love of the sport, they're not getting a scholarship. You know, for them to be to have the opportunity to play in an atmosphere like that once a year. You know, whether you're playing for Wabash or DePaul, it's just a, a special environment. And it's it's fun to be there as a fan. It's fun to be, you know, I love the, you know, if, if I leave Wabash, I will still love that game. And it will always, that second Saturday of November, no matter what else I'm doing, wherever I might be doing it, I'll always pay attention to what's happening because the Monon Bell game is just something that that's very, very special. Yeah, absolutely something special. And I'm sure that if you guys uh, needed any more um, convincing as to why to go to a Monon Bell game or visit either A, Crawfordsville, Indiana, or B, Greencastle, Indiana, you, you definitely have a reason now. But uh, let's jump back to some of the ways that you got into Sports Info. So you said that uh, it took about two-week turnaround for you to get the job at, as an SID at a Wabash, and you walked in on the first – freshman class that you had that first day and you're like hey guys you know uh, I'm not quite sure what to do here so what in that first year was the biggest adjustment for you and how did you overcome it the biggest adjustment that first year was just the the multitude of things that you had to kind of keep in the area you're you're juggling a lot of balls you're you're focused on the sports that are in season in the fall, you know, just walking in the door. And, you know, I knew football, and I knew enough about soccer, and I ran cross-country, so I felt very confident. But then I didn't realize that first year, well, it's September, and my basketball coach already needs some things from me. And, and the basketball coach at the time had had been here forever. He had won a national championship, and I had actually interviewed him several times. So we had a great relationship, but it just, that first year, it surprised me, well, we're already planning for basketball. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't start till November. And he's like, no, we start in October. Uh, you know, and I'm getting practices and so forth. So here's our schedule. Here's some roster information. Here are the questionnaires that, that we've always given the guys. So this will help you put bios together. You're working on the media guide. You know, and those were things that I hadn't really thought about. And then, you know, you get into, as every SID knows, the transition period where right. – Fall sports are just wrapping up, and winter sports are just beginning. And you know that was a, a big adjustment for me. And and, and I'm going to be honest, the the first year it was tough. And then you know we we were just in the process of joining the North Coast Athletic Conference, and it wasn't my first year, but it was my my second year when we were playing a full conference schedule. Mm-hmm. We we were members of the conference for every sport but football for that 1999-2000 season. Then 2000, we played football, and our opening football game was against Wittenberg, which has become a great rivalry for Wabash. You know, it's not quite the level of DePaul, but it's pretty close because Wittenberg and Wabash have played for a lot of conference titles over the year in football, years in football. So here it's our first Wittenberg football game at Wabash, and 15, 20 minutes before kickoff, the officials start looking at the turf, and, and Wabash had a grass football field at the time. They determine we apparently had a grub infestation, and they had to pull up sections of the turf and reseed the turf. So we're 30 minutes delayed for kickoff. Well, no big deal. You know, we can we can handle that. Yeah. 
then a thunderstorm rolls in. And we have to clear the stadium, stop, play. Wabash is leading Wittenberg at the time. But we have thunder, lightning, so you know we can't get back out can't on the play, field. Yeah. And Wabash doesn't have lights at its football stadium. Oh. So now we're, we're sitting in a meeting in, in one of the classrooms. Well, what are we going to do if we can't get this game uh, restarted this afternoon? And, you know, Wittenberg can't come back on Sunday, and we can't push it into later in the week. So we end up moving the entire football game to one of the local high schools nearby to finish it that night. Uh-huh. And I'll never forget walking into the press box, you know, and here, you know, I, I'm working with a group of students who are looking up to me as, well, this is the professional guy. This is the guy who works with the Colts, and uh-huh. he does all this stuff, and they're all looking at me. So what are we going to do? We're moving to the high school. And I just looked, paused for a second, and said, if it's not tied down in this press box, put it in my truck. We're taking we're it to going. the high school because I have no idea what we're about to walk into, but we're we're just going to play it by ear, and we're going to find a way to make this work. And and we did. I mean, it was it was a rough game. We ended up uh, losing by a lot. We had a great second half. Uh-huh. But, you know, it was one... <coughs> It was one of those situations that, you know, a few years later, I, I still have that members of that student staff come back for reunions and alumni events, and we still talk about it. I mean, uh-huh. It was one of those, you know, a couple of the guys were like, yeah, I remember just packing things in boxes and loading it into your truck, and the next thing we know, we're out at this local high school trying to get everything assembled, and we got a football game statted and we got the information out to the papers and, and it worked. So it wasn't pretty. It wasn't the way no. we planned, but you know, the, they said the lesson they learned from it is you got to find a way to, to accomplish the job no matter what the circumstances. And so that was kind of the takeaway they had. And, you know, it's one of the things I've tried to teach my student workers on a regular basis is we're here to accomplish a goal and we're just trying to find the best way to be able to do it it's funny that you say that we, we kind of did the same thing when i was a freshman in fort wayne uh, at tech um I, I just wrapped up practice and my boss zach shore i don't know if you're listening now zach but i'm sure you remember this but he texts me and he's like you need to go meet me by uh, out at the uh, soccer parking lot we need to go and i was like what and he said well we have a lacrosse game tonight and i was like yeah so um I met him out there. I just thought, hey, we're going to do some outlet stuff, you know, get some things going for the stream. And then I also saw that there was thunderstorms in the bro- in the forecast. And I was like, well, we might not be able to play this game. We might have to finish it up like I thought, you know, Saturday, something like that. We get in the car and the two other student workers are in there. And I'm like, where are we going? He goes, we got to drive 45 minutes to Angola, Indiana. <laughs> and, and he goes, we're going to play this game on the campus of Trine University. And I'm like, oh, great. So we all drove. 45 minutes just to go play that game. But, um, you know, it was it was fun, and it was a kind of a learning experience because you have to learn to be adaptable in that situation. And, yeah, it might not have been the ideal situation, but you had no choice but then other to make it work, um, which, which I think is something very important that SID should have. Oh, absolutely. You, you, you've got to – you know, you, you can't get caught up in the mundane, well, this didn't happen exactly the way I wanted it to do. We we talk about this in the in with our our streaming broadcast, and you know I was fortunate enough for, for several years. You know I was involved with television broadcasting with ESPN. I worked with the Purdue Football Radio Network. Uh, you know I still I'm involved with the Colts, and you know we we have a 
pass fail uh, mentality. It's mm-hmm. it's either a hundred percent right or it was wrong. Uh, but we also learned over time that you know we may see the flaws in it, but everybody else may not. I mean, mm-hmm. I I can walk away from a broadcast and say, boy, I was just awful. Today. Oh yeah, yeah. Bad broadcast. This didn't go the way I wanted to, and then. I'll get home and I'll run into three or four people. I had a conversation today with uh, the father of one of our football players. We were we were talking about some some things for the upcoming football banquet, and he happened to mention he goes, I, "You know, that's the first time I've had a chance to talk to you, but I feel like I know you because I watched the Don Morell <laughs> yeah. show every week." He goes, "That show is so good," and I'm like, "You know, there were three different shows I walked away from this year going." Well, that was an embarrassment. That yeah. was horrible. And then you go back and you, you watch it, and it's like, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're in the moment, you it, you always think, if I could have done this, I needed to do this. But people still enjoy it. They don't see the flaws. They they see what you're trying to do for the program, and that's what you've always got to remember. If, yeah. if you're putting a good effort forward, yes, there are always things that you can do better, but... You know, you're also providing a valuable service to people, and you just you 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 want to strive for that excellence without, you know, driving yourself crazy because you didn't do everything 100 percent right. It's, you know, okay, so you had to go to Angola uh, and do the game at Trine. It wasn't what you were expecting, but I bet the players had a great experience. They thought everything mm-hmm. worked well. We did a lacrosse game at home last year, and we ended up just getting dumped on with snow that morning. Uh-huh. So they got the field cleared, but Love it snowed games. throughout the yeah. entire game. I mean, we were miserable down at the field, but we're shoveling the lines after every goal. You know, we're doing everything we can. I've got two assistant football coaches down there helping. We even had a student photographer who, after a goal, would go out and shovel goal creases for the goalies. And at one point, I'm coming back off the field. I'm trying to get off the field so they can have the next face off. And I ran by the wing position, and I just said, you know, sorry, guys, I'll be out of your way in a minute. And I think we were playing Calvin. And one of the Calvin players, he goes, you're not in our way. We're amazed you're working as hard as you guys Uh are to let us have a chance to play. I got back in the office on Monday, and my my boss, the director of communications here at the college, she said, I was watching the live stream, and it was so funny (laughs) because the snow would start to build up on the camera. And then all of a sudden, you just see this finger come across. It's like, <laughs> like a windshield wiper. You know, and it was like, you, you know, it wasn't a great experience. You know, we were all kind of going, why are we even playing this game? Uh-huh. But start to talk to people. You know, the Calvin coaches were just like, oh, I can't believe all the effort you guys went to to be able to let us play this game. You know, people were really appreciative of it. And you could take away, well, you know, it didn't go the way I wanted it to. And it wasn't the way I would do it if I had the opportunity to make it a perfect experience but people enjoyed it and that's the bottom line that's what's important yeah i think that some people might be a little bit of perfectionists on that because i also did play by play in the area and um i always walked away and i was like you know i i, I had the same mentality pass or fail it's like i either did great or i did poor and there was one time i think we were at bossy high school and it was like one of my first games and this woman comes up to me after the game and i was like i 
couldn't see the numbers, you know, stayed, the arena's, like, built up instead of out, and uh, she comes up, she goes, thank you for doing that, and it was just the appreciation that she had, and I was, and now that's what you're saying is absolutely true, so there still might be some people out there that might be a little bit more perfectionist, and even in an industry, and then we're about to get into it here in a second, that that's kind of emphasized, and it's very, very uh-huh. important because you have millions of eyes watching you. We talked to Ira Thor, and I know that you and I talked about him off air, um, working some stat stuff as a crew chief for the Jets. Yeah, we a- and we actually said nice things about and him. And we actually said nice things about him. Imagine that, yeah. <laughs> and um, you've alluded to it a few times now. You're with the Colts as a statistician. How? Do, first of all, before we get into anything else, how did you get a, a part of that? Totally by accident. Um <sighs> I was working at the local radio station, and one of the opportunities that became available was a chance to go to Colts games. And so I covered the Colts for the radio station. I would sit there, and I'd kind of do my own stats in the press box because you have a press box PA announcer that's telling you it's an eight-yard game. You know, a guy like Ira Thor, who does Uh that for the Giants. And so I would track the stats, but then I'd go to the locker room after the game, and I'd give quotes for my sports show. Well, it gave me an opportunity to meet a gentleman by the name of Bill York. And Bill is a legend in Indiana sports. Uh, If you go to Banker's Life Fieldhouse to cover a Pacers game, you will go to the Bill York media room. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you go to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and you say the name Bill York, the drivers know who he is, the, the crews know who he is, the people at the Speedway know who he is. He's a legend there. He had done every Pacers game since the Pacers existed in the ABA all the way through to the NBA existence of the Pacers until two years ago. Hmm. And then when the Colts came to town, Bill did every game for the Colts. In fact, there there are two different style of uh, 2007 Indianapolis Colts Super Bowl rings. I'm fortunate enough that I have the one style, hmm. which is the smaller ring, but... <laughs> uh, Bill meant so much to the Colts. Bill got one of the players' rings, and he was very proud of that. So I got a chance to meet Bill, and Bill found out I was very serious about this and really wanted to get involved. So Bill brought me in, and and my first duty with the Colts was what we affectionately referred to as scoreboard boy. (laughs) This is before everybody had a phone that got out on the Internet. And it was easy to to get all the scores. So I would sit in the back of the press box on a group conference call, and we would all just, okay, the Colts score now is Indianapolis 14, um, and Jacksonville didn't exist back then, Mm -hmm. but Jacksonville 7. And you would just give score updates, and then you'd write down on your sheet what the scores were, and you'd give it to the PA announcers Mm -hmm. so they could announce it to the stadium and announce it to the press box. Uh, then that got me involved with the stack crew, and I started doing high school football games and so forth. Well, we we're doing the high school state championship at the RCA Dome, and there's a basketball game going on at what was then Market Square Arena before they tore it down and, mm-hmm. and built Banker's Life. And I got a phone call that said, Bill York is doing the game over at uh, Market Square. He wants you to call him after this high school game is over. I said, great, I'll, I'll do that. And I'm thinking the heck if I screwed up at the high school game that Bill's calling. Well, Bill called and said, hey, have you ever done any stats with our stat crew at Colts games? No. He goes, well, 
the Colts aren't happy with the guy that's doing the computer entry on the NFL system. So this Sunday, we have a home game. I want you to sit and watch how the computer entry is done. Then we're going to get you in touch with the people from the NFL. They're going to give you additional training. And you're the entry person for the Indianapolis Colts from this point forward. Wow. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> well, that was, that was I uh, uh, my timeline's always a little tricky on this, but I think it was 1997 when I started doing that. And I've been doing it ever since. I mean, we, we got a chance. It, w- it was interesting when the Colts built Lucas Oil Stadium. I actually was involved. Uh, right, that was my next asked, our, asked our crew about, what do you need? What are you looking for? So they, they involved us quite a bit. Um, the relationship working with the Colts, it really is a, a, a big family. It's been, I've been thrilled to be a part of it. It's interesting. We have a, a Wabash alumnus who now uh, is the vice president of the communications office. Uh, so he and I chat uh, on Sundays for home games. Uh, one of my students had an internship with the Colts this past uh, year. Uh, so I've got a chance to see him every day in a different environment, working in the NFL environment. He actually worked at the NFL Network out in Los Angeles this past summer. Hmm. So it's been great to see Jaleel get those opportunities. But, yeah, it, just, it was something I never thought I would do. And now, you know, that's led to I've been to two Super Bowls that the Colts have, have gone to. The Colts very graciously made tickets available to us. Uh, so I've been to the two Super Bowls in Miami. And then when – the New York Giants played New England in the Super Bowl played in Indianapolis. We were the stats crew for that game, so I have scored a Super Bowl mm-hmm. as part of the NFL stats crew, and that was a just a tremendous opportunity. It was amazing to be part of that game. You said that uh, York um, told you that they weren't happy with the uh, stat crew guy that they had now, so what kind of pressure was like for you out in the beginning for uh, inputting those statistics? Well, the, well the, my follow-up question once I learned the software was, okay, so just what was this guy not doing well? And yeah. so first I found out, you know, I mean, and it was just one of those cases where he was, well, game's over, I'm out of here. And, you know, it was he, he had kind of lost that interest of, well, this is an opportunity that a lot of people would love to do, and I'm fortunate to be able to do it. He... He had really kind of lost that uh-huh. approach to it, and that's an approach. But I'm I'm thrilled to say everybody in our crew I think takes it that way every single week. I mean, we we still among our group have a pass fail mentality. Uh, every Wednesday there's a, a sheet that's sent out from the NFL with stat corrections. Right. Yeah. And. If we get any stat corrections, the first thing we do the very next game is we go through any of the plays that there were corrections. And we'll ask the NFL, you know, so is this a correction that we missed in-game or was it corrected because you got a different camera angle from NFL films that nobody would have had? And, you know, if, if it's a different angle and there's no way we could have gotten it, That's why, okay, yeah. we understand now we're still going to try and figure out if there's a way we can get it next time. But, you know, I'm definitely not happy being the primary computer entry person if I get an entry wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just that I, I, I know there are guys that it's their contracts. 
oh, there are people doing fantasy football that I, you know, semi-control their destiny with what I enter. And we just want to be accurate. You know, we're very fortunate. You know, I think our crew is among the best in the NFL. I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled with the guys I work with. We have a lot of fun. We enjoy it. We're good friends. But we're also very serious when we do the games. Now, sometimes you couldn't tell that when you're in the booth with us because uh-huh. we pick up each other. But uh, the guys give me a hard time when there are NFL players who played for a Division three school. They'll make a play, and I'll go, from Division three, and I name the school. <laughs> I'll go, right? We're going to hear Division three all afternoon. Uh-huh. So, yep, yes, you are. <laughs> uh, well, and it was interesting. We played the Giants earlier this year. The backup quarterback for the Giants is the brother of my director of athletics. Wow. So he came to the game, and I told the guys before the game, uh, if if Alex Tanny gets in the game, you guys are going to hear it all over because that's the, that's my AD's brother, plus he's a Division three guy. So, you know, you get the double connection on that. Uh-huh. They were fortunate he didn't get into the game. But, you know, we have, we, we have a lot of fun, but we're very serious about it. So, yeah, it was – it was just making sure I've got that understanding that, you know, if you're not doing an accurate job and you're not taking it professionally, there's always somebody who can step in and do it. Yeah. And, you know, and we're always looking for people who are interested that want to learn um, because, you know, there's a time commitment to it and an involvement. I mean, we're there two hours prior to kickoff. Uh, it's not a, you know, I have to juggle my Wabash schedule with my NFL schedule. Um, the Colts are very, very nice about understanding if I have a home soccer game, there may be one game I'm going to miss, but I try and make sure I don't miss more than one a season, and that includes preseason. You know, you're doing a preseason game where there are 200 guys on the roster. Well, I see that a lot of times with D3 football games, so it's not unusual for me. But in an NFL standing uh, setup uh, during preseason, that can be unusual. You have multiple jerseys and there are ways we handle it in the NFL software, but it's also allowed me. I'm on a I'm on a committee that's looking at the new software for the NCAA for football, uh, working with the folks in Genius Sports, uh, and we've got a great crew. And in fact, there's a gentleman who does the same type of thing with the Seattle Seahawks, who's also involved with the University of Washington hmm. and does some bowl games and so forth. He's on the committee as well, so we kind of get to talk about it the new software with a group of college SIDs with also bringing our NFL perspective in. So it's been fun to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's talk about preparation a little bit for that sort of thing. And like you mentioned before, uh, the NFL kind of gave you some training. Every Wednesday they'll send out some corrections for you. Um, Understandably, it's a professional organization, but what was it like leading up to the Super Bowl in Indianapolis? I mean, what did they tell you? How did you prepare you and your team for that stage of an event? Well, when we found out Indianapolis was going to get the Super Bowl, we started talking to some other teams that had hosted the Super Bowl. And obviously with the Colts going to Miami twice, we reached out to the Miami Dolphins stack crew and we said, well, what can we expect? They said, well, first of all, understand there's no guarantee that just because you're hosting a Super Bowl, you're going to get to do the Super Bowl. I mean, they have crews, you know, that the NFL has enough money, certainly, <laughs> that they have no problem flying a crew in, getting hotel rooms, and having them work the game. So you need to have a good year of statistics, first of all. Well, we did that, and we found out, 
I think it was in late October. You know, we're very happy with your crew. We want your crew to do the Super Bowl. But what was also interesting for us, you know, and then you have to you have to submit a lot of paperwork, you know, right. there are background checks and, you know, things that we don't normally have to do for a regular Colts game. Uh-huh. But for the Super Bowl, they want to make sure all their, you know, everything is lined up. So submitted a bunch of paperwork. We had to submit payroll because we were being paid by the NFL and not by the Colts. Oh, but then you found out, well, they want you there three hours prior to kickoff. And your parking is going to be different. So we went through all the scenarios and we all met at a local mall and went in one vehicle to the bus pickup area and they brought us to the stadium. Well, then we also found out our normal booth, uh, we have nine people in it, four people on the front row, four people in the back row. And then we have a person that stands immediately behind me and my auditor uh, who's in comp in a communication with the TV truck, you know, providing them the official stats for the Super Bowl. We were going to almost double that space. I forget how many people total we had because it was it was difficult for me to even turn in my chair. Uh, and the funniest thing for me, you know, I still did the standard computer entry that I always do, and one of the things I do at the end of every drive, I print a play by play so we can audit what we entered, make sure I got my yard lines right, make sure we don't want to change a play, make sure the play-by-play accurately describes what happened on the field. You know, we're just double-checking everything. The NFL actually had someone there, their whole job was to print. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would I would finish something, and I'd just turn and say, Daniel, print. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, because I apparently can't hit Control-P. Mm-hmm. So, Daniel, please hit Control-P. And that was his whole job. It was mm-hmm. somebody from the league office, but it was his chance to come out and work a Super Bowl. So, yeah, we just we had a lot of people, and we even talked about, well, you know. <coughs> Excuse me. We said, you know, during a regular game, we call the NFL league office if we have a question on a stat. Well, the entire NFL League office is, is there, here, yeah. so do we call someone? Do we walk down the hallway? Uh, do we go to this person? And you know, we had to figure out you know, what's going to be different from a Super Bowl game to what we normally do every week. But it was a great experience, and you know, it, it was fun to be a part of. We got there early enough that uh, we had the opportunity to just walk around. We, we got all our souvenirs before the gates were open mm-hmm. while the while the souvenir shops were all setting up. Uh, so it was, it was a wonderful experience. And yeah, I, I told you the story when we were preparing. I was able to get a bunch of material to send out to my friend Ira Thor, who is a big Giants fan. And, you know, kind of uh, was a nice little touch to be able to send somebody who's a big Giants fan with his Giants winning the game, send him some memorabilia from the game because I knew it would mean a lot to him. So it was neat to be able to do that part of it as well. Which uh, environment have you preferred in your professional tenure? Is it a Super Bowl or a Monon Bell game? You know, they're both unique. I, yeah. I, I love the Monon Bell game because I'm involved in a more intricate fashion. The, I, I have a lot of involvement with the TV broadcast. You know, whether it's here or at DePaul, uh, I've been around the Monon Bell game for so long as both a media member and as a sports information director. Uh, you know, Bill Wagner down at DePaul is a very good friend of mine, and and 
we get to have those conversations during the week, you know, because we're the only two people that know what it's like to be a sports information director. Bill's been at DePaul longer than I've been at Wabash. And so we're really uh, the only two people that know what it's like to do a Monon Bell game in the year 2000, you know, in the 21st century as mm-hmm. an SID. And so we can kind of, you know, gripe to one another or, you know, well, you know, oh, don't forget we got this going on. Yeah, because we're not busy with a Monon Bell game or anything. Or, you know, I'll forget a credential and email him. All right, here's the one I forgot this year. It's uh, this one. I need this credential added to the list. Or he'll email me, hey, guess what? This person wants to come too, so I need one more credential. And, you know, we just – we we've been through it both together so much that that we kind of have that common experience and it, you know it, it it really is a lot of fun i mean the super bowl was was wonderful and you know i get i get a chance with the final four when they're in indianapolis i work with indiana sports corps with a group called site control uh, and so i get to see some of the inner workings of something at that level but when you know the players on the field and you're going to have an, an involvement with them. You know, I, I left lunch today, coming back to the office, and I ran into a couple of our football players, and we were talking about how their break went. And when it's those guys that you get to know at a different level on the field, I think that makes it a little more special. So, you know, the Super Bowl was great. I'd do another one in a heartbeat if I get a call today to go to Atlanta here in a, in a week or so uh, to work the Super Bowl. I would go, but. The Monon Bell game is always kind of special, you know, again, because you know the, the people involved and and there's a little bit more day-to-day operation with it. Awesome. Well, uh, this is a part of the interview where I like to transition ask some fun questions. So uh, what's your favorite memory in your professional tenure? I know that I'm sure that there's got to be a lot of them, right? There, there, there are a lot of them. Probably my favorite one happened just a couple of years ago. Uh, when I started at Wabash, you know, to, to, to give you some background on this story, we had a very good quarterback. Uh, still, I would argue, possibly the best quarterback that's ever played here at Wabash College, Jake Knott. And Jake's, I think it was his sophomore year, he got a chance to work out up at Purdue University. And he happened to end up you know, working out side-by-side side with the Purdue University the quarterback, uh, quarterback at that time. Some kid by the name of Breeze. I, I don't know what became oh, of yeah, him. Oh, yeah, you have no idea. Yeah. He had a decent <laughs> career. But we found out, you know, here's Jake hanging out with, at that time, Heisman Trophy candidate. So I thought, what a great story for our alumni magazine. So I drove up one afternoon to Purdue University, and I had worked at Purdue with the radio network before I came to Wabash. So I knew all the folks up at Purdue. So we got this chance to sit down with Jake and Drew and get some comments and quotes and so forth. And I took a picture of Jake and Drew, you know, throwing the ball around. Well, fast forward a couple of years ago at Cosida, Drew Brees goes into the Academic All-America Hall of Fame. And I thought, you know, I've still got that photo of Drew Brees and Jake Knott. I wonder if I could get Drew to sign that. Uh So I took the photo to, and I think we were in Dallas that year. And I took the photo with me. And I went to the Academic All-America Hall of Fame induction ceremony. I'm, I'm part of the Academic All-America Committee. And Drew actually had to get back to, I think, OTAs were the next day in New Orleans. So he was at the event and then had to get back immediately. 
And so he's going through and he's being very generous with his time. He's talking to people, taking photos and signing some footballs and so forth. But he's also, you know, you can tell he's kind of got that. I really have to really get gotta going. go. Yeah. But I'm going to, but I'm going to be the, the nice guy. You folks have been very gracious to me. So I'm going to do as much as I can and still get going. And I'm standing in line and he's got the Purdue people with him. And, and I see Jim Brujinks with him and I've had known Jim for years. And I said, Jim, I just want to see if Drew will sign this. I pulled the photo out and Drew looks over and he immediately goes, oh my gosh, Jake Knott, I haven't seen a photo <laughs> like, you're the guy that took the photo. Yeah. <laughs> Were you coming up to Purdue? I said, well, I was hoping I could get you to sign it. And he joked, he, yeah, you know, get me to sign it, then you got to get Knott to sign it so it's worth something. <laughs> well, the funny part of it is I, you know, got Drew to sign it and we had a great talk about that, that that you know photo being taken and so forth well drew of course earlier this year breaks one of the nfl passing records you know i think most passing yards this year Mm -hmm. or most yeah yeah most passing passing yards and you know everything's going up on facebook and so i posted on facebook great to see drew Drew Brees break the passing record you know i've got this great photo in my office of drew Brees and some other quarterback drew Brees has signed it if I could just get that other quarterback to come by my office and sign it. And Jake's wife commented, she goes, I'm going to make him get in the car and drive over <laughs> and do that. And we, we hooked up a couple of times. He came to home football games. and I didn't have a chance to have the photo there. We're at a home basketball game last week. And I look and there's Jake across the, uh, the floor sitting there with his kids. He brought them to the game and he came over at halftime. He's like, do we have enough time to get over to your office? Goes, it's, it's actually bugging me now that yeah. Drew took time to sign the photo and I have it. So it's been kind of a fun little thing back and forth with us. But but it was just kind of neat to see something that happened as just kind of a lark, you know, early in my career was something that Drew Brees actually remembered and, and has been kind of something fun through the years. What about on the other side of the coin? What's your biggest horror story? Oh, I, I think... The first one would be that that first conference football game we've talked about, where uh-huh. you know, we're just, you know, what the heck is going on? Where are we going to do? You know, I've got three radio stations there. I, I still remember there are three radio stations there covering the game, and I don't know if the high school has phone lines. Mm. So trying to figure out how are these radio stations going to do their broadcast, and I was really fortunate. I I'll never forget. I mean, it was it was like the PR person's worst nightmare. So I'm down in the meeting. We make the decision. We're going to move the game to Crawfordsville High School. Wittenberg has the only bus. So Wittenberg will take their team out. Their bus will come, come back, back and pick up the Wabash team, take them out. In the meantime, everybody that's involved in game management will just get out there and start getting set up. I'm like, okay, so what's our, you know, we're going to start at 7. You know, we've got everything written down, where the ball is, what the time is on the clock. So I come out of the classroom. <coughs> Excuse me. You're good. So I come out of the classroom, and the only way to get to the press box in our stadium, you have to run up the stairs. So I go running up the stairs, open the press box door, and I'm out of breath to hear the immortal words from one of the radio stations. Well, Brent Harris, the sports information director, has just arrived. He's going to tell us what's going on. Brent, and a microphone ends up. I'm like, okay, let me catch my breath. You know, a couple of quick deep breaths. 
here's what's happening. We're moving the game to Crawfordsville High School. We're going to start kickoff at 7 o'clock. We're going to do our best to, to make sure everything's in place. We're going to try and figure out how we can make sure all the radio stations get on the air as well. We're very fortunate. One of the radio stations, a local radio station, in fact, the station I had worked for for so many years, they had broadcast cell phones available, and they had three of them back at the studio. And they said, we'll go back. We'll get those uh, broadcast cell phones. We'll bring them out to Crawfordsville High School. The other two radio stations can use them. It was just a case of everybody understanding it was a unique situation. And it was one of those, you know, at the end of the day, it couldn't have gone any better. But, you know, until we actually got everything out to Crawfordsville High School and got everything set up, I'm like, this is nuts. This is, just a, yeah. is, this, is this really what I want to do for a living? Uh-huh. You know, eh. Maybe maybe I should go sell shoes or something because you know, this is this is what every day is going to be like for me. I am not cut out for this. But you know, again, as we were saying earlier, it's one of those memories you'll never forget. Now at the time, though, you're like, oh, this is I just terrible. Yeah, I, I may be at the bar for the rest of the night because that's the only way I'm going to get through this day. So that's one that'll always stick with me. It was you know one of those. Boy, what a nightmare at the time! But then you kind of afterwards, you're like, "Boy, we we handled that pretty well, actually." Uh-huh. Yeah, and yeah. It's one that I'll never forget. Uh, what's one thing you, one piece of advice, rather, you give to uh, a young professional in this profession? The biggest piece of advice I would give someone is any chance you have to network with people who have been in the business, take advantage of it. I didn't realize. I was really doing that when I first got started at the radio station. I had an opportunity to cover Purdue University because there was a local high school player who was playing a team that Purdue was going to play, and so I asked for a credential. And I was so fortunate that uh, the gentleman who was the SID at Purdue at the time, Jim Vrujink, uh, gave me the credential and treated me like I was a regular media member. He made sure that I knew what I was doing and made sure I, he knew I was nervous about it, but he kind of took me under his wing and took such good care of me. And it really meant a lot to me that I started bringing more and more Purdue coverage into what we did at the radio station. And in return, he appreciated that. He, he once got me credentials to cover Purdue during the NCAA tournament, which I will never forget. And Jim really became kind of a model for me as to how a sports information office should, should work. I mean, I, I got an email earlier this morning. We have a big rivalry basketball game tomorrow night against DePaul. Uh, And I got an email today from DePaul student radio station wanting to get an interview with our head coach. So got the head coach's schedule. You know, and it it seems like a small thing, but it's the same way Jim treated me. I wanted to treat that student radio station because, again, as we've said about a couple of things earlier, it's about paying it back. So – Young SIDs just getting into that business, find some of those SIDs who have who have done this. Listen to some of their stories. I mean, what you do with SIDCAST is, is a perfect opportunity for those young SIDs to hear some of these stories. And also, don't be afraid to bring you know, young SIDs, people just getting into this business. You've got a lot of expertise that you bring with you. You've got experiences that I don't have. And that's what I love about working with my students. I tell my students... You may have an idea that I haven't thought of, and it may be the exact idea I'm looking for. So don't be afraid to bring that to the table. 
because with my experience and your idea and your knowledge in an area that I may not have, we may come up with the perfect solution to something. So that's why I say the networking piece is important. Don't feel like you don't have something to bring to the conversation, but also take a chance to just listen and, and learn. I think that's important. Speaking of learning, what's one thing you're interested in to learn more about in this profession? I, I think the way things are going in our profession Social media, it seems like it. You know what we did an hour ago has already changed. Uh-huh. So I, I like to see what other people are doing with social media. I think, uh, I, I, I can say for certain. I don't even think uh, we've been very slow to adapt some of the things in social media. I think some of that is by design on what we think works at Wabash. Uh, there are some other things I'd like to implement that I just haven't done, and I need to talk to some more people. I, I. I stay up with all the uh, the social media groups about sports inf- you know, sports information on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, and I see some things. I'm like, wow, that is really amazing. I mean, there's some people doing some amazing things. Uh, so I try and reach out to them, see what they're doing, uh, or look at some of the tips. Cosida is obviously a great opportunity mm-hmm. it, it, for people that don't go to Cosida. You're missing a fantastic opportunity because I learn something. I learn at least five new things every time I go to, to the Cosida convention in the summer. And they're not necessarily things I thought I would learn. And that's really important. You know, provide those opportunities to yourself. And that's what I try and do. I, I, I try and sit at lunches with people that I don't know so I can meet some people, but then talk about what they're doing, what, you know, and kind of these same questions you're asking me. So, What's something that you, you know, what's what's probably the most memorable thing you had this year? And they tell me a story. I'm like, oh, well, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. We had that same thing come up, and I never thought about trying to solve it that way. So it's, you know, just learning from what other people are doing, trying to find out how I can utilize that here in my office. Awesome. Well, um, work-life balance, what do you do to have fun? I'm a huge history buff, uh, particularly Civil War. And I've got family out in the Virginia area, so... Uh, if I'm not involved in, in some sporting event with Wabash or with the Colts, and that is very, very rare, but I, I usually try and take about three weeks during the summer. I'll go back out to the Virginia area, and that usually means uh, traipsing about a Civil War battlefield somewhere. Uh, I do a lot of reading at home. Uh, a lot of it's uh, historical uh, material. Um, I fancy myself as a bit of a political wonk. I don't. I, I don't have the knowledge to be a political wonk, but I'm fascinated by it. So, and, and I'm very fortunate. Wabash has a lot of alums who are true political wonks that I've gotten to know over the years. So, so I kind of keep an eye on what they're doing and it helps keep me kind of in touch with what's happening in in the world of politics. Uh, and then I just, I, I bought a new home about three years ago. I kind of like just going there and relaxing. And when I go out to, uh, Virginia, uh, my sister has two wonderful dogs that, that Uncle Brent likes to spoil when, when I go visit. I, I house sat for her last year uh, after the COSIDA conference in uh, convention in D.C. And the dogs and I had a great week while everybody was out of the house. It was just the two of us. We'd go for walks. And my schedule doesn't really allow me to have a dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's just it wouldn't be fair to the dog, wouldn't be fair to me. So I get to kind of adopt her dogs and and take care of Becky and Gibson all that I, all that I can during nice. the summer. Awesome. Um, next time someone's in the, I'll, I'll let you take a pick. Maybe the Crawfordsville area, maybe Indianapolis. What's your restaurant or bar recommendation? 
well, if you're going to be in Indianapolis and you don't go to St. Elmo's at least once, you've shortchanged yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Elmo's is phenomenal. But if you're in Crawfordsville, I am a big – my go-to uh, – you and I were chatting earlier before we, we started the broadcast and we brought up Mark Atkins. We're fortunate enough to host the uh, NCAA Wrestling Regional. And Mark came down for the regional last year and he said, well, let's go to dinner Thursday night before things get crazy Friday and Saturday. He said, well, where are we going to go? I said, Little Mexico. Uh, not No question. It's an authentic Mexican restaurant in downtown Crawfordsville. It is my absolute go-to. If I, you know, it's it. I, I think my last four birthday dinners have been in <laughs> Mexico. Uh-huh. You, know, you, you walk in, and I, I think up to the point I don't even order anymore. Food just shows up at my table because they know what I'm going to order. Uh, the food's always good. Uh, it's always busy, but they'll always find room for you. And I have, I have yet to take someone there who doesn't walk away going, that was a really, really good meal. Awesome. Well, I'm glad. Uh, we're bumping up against time here. I know you don't have a Twitter, but uh, what would be the best way to get in touch with you if anybody had any questions? Uh, the two easiest ways, you can reach out to me on using the Wabash Athletics Twitter. That's that, at Wabash Athletics. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Um, it's uh, under my name, Brent Harris. Or just drop me an email or give me a phone call. You know, The, the email is harrisb at wabash.edu and my phone numbers my office phone is listed on the wabash website uh, i love having the opportunity to talk to sids uh i i've fielded phone calls i've participated in panels i've done a stats dugout on football you know three or four times for cosida i like to i like to provide any experiences i can and love to talk to people about what we're doing here at wabash and love to talk to people about what they're doing as well that, that we can integrate here. So I welcome welcome phone calls and questions. Perfect. Well, Brent, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, ran a little bit more than an hour, but I, I'm very, very happy with this. Glad that we finally got to connect. David, my pleasure. Thanks for everything you do with SIDCAST, and thanks for what you're doing to support our organization. Guys, there you have it. I want to thank you all for staying with us this whole entire uh, process, this whole entire week, and thank you for bearing with our schedule change. Uh, But we will be back next week. We will have uh, James Wagner of the Colonial States Athletic Conference. We're speaking to him next week. We will have that episode up on Thursday for you guys. Until then, be sure to do what the intro says. Leave us a rating and a review. Wherever you get your podcast, be sure to follow us on social media. If you're new, if you're returning, sign up for our newsletter, sidcast.fireside.fm slash newsletter. That way you will get the update as far as what is all going on, any events that we're having, uh, and we hope to plan something soon for the spring. We don't know what quite what that is yet, but we will have something good. And if you want to be the first to hear about that, that newsletter is definitely the place to be. So, guys, I want to thank you all very much for listening, and we hope to catch you all in the the next episode.